But I'm gonna be an idealist here because I can. Women have been doing a lot of both physical labor and emotional labor watching out for ourselves for a really long time. And men who were in vulnerable positions, right? I mean, I don't wanna omit out of Hollywood, we have the story of Terry Crews who was assaulted by an agent, right? So it's not just women, right? But we need to be safe, we need to take care of ourselves, we need to look out for our friends, we need to be active bystanders if we see our friends in bad situations, pull them out of them. Uh, we need to be mindful about where we drink, who has access to our drinks, um, you know, and, and make sure we take care of Thanks for tuning in to the Big Q Podcast. My name is Owen Hulsbeck, and I'm a senior philosophy major here at Santa Clara University. And my name is Chauncey Schmidt. I'm also a senior environmental science major. If you've been following our series, this is our fourth podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we bring you an extended interview with Dr. Robin Nelson, who is a professor from the anthropology department here at SCU. And uh, these views do not represent the Markula Center for Applied Ethics. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email bigqpodcast at gmail.com. So my name is Robin Nelson, and I'm a biological anthropologist, and I study child growth and development and familial systems in the Caribbean, and I'm beginning a new project soon in Canada looking at Caribbean and African migrants who've left their home areas to move to Canada with their kids, um, and, and basically how the families are functioning and how the moms are doing and how the kids are doing in terms of their health. This is my second year at Santa Clara, and I had been faculty at two other institutions before this, UC Riverside and Skidmore College up in upstate New York, and was really happy to see the opening at Santa Clara and applied, and, and here I am. I've actually read one of your papers mm-hmm. on field research, mm-hmm. um, and it had one of the really interesting parts that I kind of want to delve into today is power dynamics mm. um, and how power dynamics influence relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about that research? Sure. So with um, Kate Clancy, she's a faculty member at uh, University of Illinois uh, Urbana-Champaign, um, Julianne Rutherford, who's at the University of Illinois Chicago, and Katie Hind, who's at um, Univers- uh, Arizona State, she would kill me, Arizona State, <laughs> um, we developed a project looking at sexual harassment in field research settings. Kate Clancy used to run a blog on Scientific American, and a few folks had posted anonymously about their experiences with harassment and assault. Kate then came to us and said, I think there's a larger problem here. Should we do something? Should we think about investigating this? And the issue or the problem um, was that we all knew of a story of someone who had experienced this in the field. And so then you start thinking, okay, Kate works on behavioral endocrinology. Katie works on lactation studies. Julianne studies the placenta, and I study human biology with families. We all do different field work, right? We're all in different places. Um, We intersect with different corners of our discipline. Um, And yet we all know someone who's experienced this. Mm -hmm. So perhaps this is more prevalent problem. Perhaps it's more pervasive than we think. So that is kind of how we started thinking about this as a research question. And so with that kind of foundation, we sent out a survey online and asked people to please participate. 
we actually published two different papers. Um, the, the shorthands for them. So it's the study of, uh, it's the survey of academic field experiences and or the SAFE study. And we, for in shorthand, call them SAFE 1 and SAFE 2, just because it's easy. So SAFE 1 came out in 2014 and SAFE 2 just came out this year. Um, and what we found were, was that men and women were both experiencing harassment and assault in the field. And I should say right off the bat that we can't say anything about prevalence, right? We can't tell you rates because this is not a simple random survey of and everyone doing field research. Mm -hmm. This is just the information we gathered from those folks who responded to our survey. So from our sample, uh, roughly two thirds or so had experienced some form of harassment mm -hmm. and a smaller percentage had ex experienced actual assault. And some of the kind of notable findings were that women were reporting having been harassed or assaulted from people who were up the professional hierarchy from them whereas men were experiencing harassment from peers. Okay. And additionally, very few people were satisfied uh, with the outcomes had if they had reported this to someone. Okay. There was not a clear way to kind of solve this problem. Okay. So that was the first paper. And then the second paper was based on long-form interviews we did with everyone. And though that paper went into a bit more depth uh, about people's feelings about what happened to them and how it impacted their career trajectory. Okay. Going to how females found that mm -hmm. it was a lot of the time someone in a superior setting mm -hmm. um, and kind of relating that to students mm -hmm. and thinking mm -hmm. um, maybe senior guys going after yeah. younger women, um, how, how does that dynamic kind of play out? What were some of Maybe the... So, you know, one of the kind of common threads that you could think about as occurring in almost all fields and lots of different social settings is this issue of power and access. So who in your community has access to the social capital or the actual financial capital or just the uh, access to the social network that, that other people need to gain access to? So for us doing field research, that's in most cases faculty, it's senior faculty, um, who are in positions of authority. Um, and you as a trainee, so we're calling everyone undergrads, grad students, postdocs, your trainees and you're like working with this person, hoping to advance your career, hoping to get particular experiences. And you need to stay on their good side, you need to get good data, you need to maintain appropriate social relationships. Um, you might need a letter of recommendation from this person later on, right? You may just need to be able to write this experience on your resume or your CV. And so that person becomes a gatekeeper to your professional life. Mm -hmm. And the parallel in social circles could be that the people who are in the social circles that you would like to gain access to or who have more power socially, mm -hmm. they serve as a gatekeeper for you being able to kind of experience your social life in the way that you would like. In your studies, did you find that there were women or men that were uh, better able to navigate these power dynamics or even overcome them? Um, yes, but I, I, I don't know, you know, that I would think of it as overcoming in some ways. I think there were women um, and men who persisted, 
who stayed in in their disciplines, um, who by chance did not experience this, um, who were able to avoid, you know, in lots of in lots of uh, professions, as we're hearing with the parallels in Hollywood and in all over the world, all over the country. Um, there's a whisper network, you know, so some people are privy to that whisper network. Don't don't spend time with this person. Don't work with that person. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in college it's don't be drunk at that fraternity or mm-hmm. don't write, don't do, don't hang out with that crew of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some people were able to avoid danger in that way, but not everyone. Mm-hmm. And so the people who did experience uh, harassment and assault, for some people and for various reasons, it ended their career or it severely... Uh, changed the trajectory of their career. They mm-hmm. stopped working on the research they wanted to work on. They changed field sites. They lost years as they changed graduate programs. Um, and some people decided to just leave academia altogether. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people kind of st- stuck with it. But I don't think anyone that, you know, responded that it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. For everyone, this was a, you know, for everyone, and, and perhaps it's just the way the surveys go, the people who responded to our survey, but but it was a notable experience in their professional life. Yeah. What would you say to someone who maybe feels that a power dynamic is limiting them? How, mm. do, you, how do you begin to navigate that? You know, it's really challenging. Folks have asked us this, and I think that one of the, my, my go-to answer is it's not their responsibility. This is the problem, is that we are always telling women how to not get raped. Mm -hmm. We're telling people how to avoid harassment at work. And the issue is how come we're not telling people in authority or people in a position of social power, stop raping people, Mm -hmm. stop harassing your employees, right? Stop alienating people. Um, and we, we, our direction in terms of prevention seems to be a little bit wonky. That being said, people are still in, in circumstances all the time where they have to navigate this. I, I hesitate to give advice because I just don't want the onus to be on young people mm-hmm. to have to do this right. work. And I guess what people have told us, though, that has been helpful is to have people who were willing to listen to them, to have mentors you know, that you trust. Um, but developing those networks is hard. So mm-hmm. that, you know, we have yeah. to acknowledge that that's work we're asking people to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Pause. Before moving forward with the interview, I wanted to emphasize something Dr. Robin Nelson just said, that the onus is not on young people, that we can't keep placing responsibility for solving this problem on the shoulders of those most negatively affected. This narrative is far too passive and essentially gives those enforcing these power dynamics a free pass to continue their unethical behavior until someone with enough clout steps in. All right, we can continue. I just needed to say that. Now, I don't know if this is really part of your research. Yeah. Um, I think it might be an underlying theme in your research. Mm-hmm. Um, rape culture. Mm. Um, and what does that also really mean? So um, when I think of the term rape culture, and it, it is kind of an underlying theme in the research, because I think that when you're investigating harassment and assault at field sites, we have to think about the conditions that create and then permit that kind of behavior to be so pervasive. Um, and part of what is permitting that, or at least justifying it, allowing it, ignoring it, is rape culture. And so rape culture is the cultural practice of men, mostly men, feeling as though, or being taught as though, or culture telling them, TV, film, uh, media, um, our families, that it is okay to 
to make advances towards women, whether they are interested or not, that women should be permissive in responding to these advances, um, and that there's a certain kind of entitlement towards women's sexual lives, that you are entitled to women's sexuality when you want it, and that women should acquiesce to these demands. We see this all the time. We see it in the famous photo of the sailor kissing the woman. Mm -hmm. So the backstory of that picture, right, is that that soldier didn't know that woman at all, mm -hmm. right? So we romanticize that. Oh my gosh, she's home from the war. It's wonderful. That's a classic example of rape culture, right? That he felt entitled to go kiss the woman and she had no say over whether that was gonna be okay or not. It becomes an iconic picture, right? Um, you know, uh, Thinking about, you know, when we have cases, especially on college campuses, of assault and harassment, and when we think about what, you know, we start having conversations about what women were wearing. Mm -hmm. You know, and to my mind, you know, if a woman is walking around campus absolutely naked, she should be able to get home safely. Mm -hmm. You know, and the fact that that's not the conversation, that we're not talking about, you know, how do we allow people to be their entire selves and be safe, but instead we're kind of saying, okay, what happened to her? Well, what did she do to earn it? That is rape culture. And do you think there is a rape culture at Santa Clara? You know, uh, being a relatively new faculty member, I don't necessarily know. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I do know... Uh, <laughs> I do know that there are lots of female students who are not entirely comfortable with their experiences. Mm -hmm. I do know that when we do surveys about things like alcohol use on campus, we know that there's a large percentage of Santa Clara students who feel like they drank a lot in the past week and that they were not entirely happy with their behavior while they were drinking. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that entirely includes, those behaviors, mm -hmm. but I'm imagining that everyone isn't safe during that time. I would almost argue that rape culture is so pervasive that it's not on any just one campus. It's on every campus. Every campus. You know, every campus. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, if I think about, like, I did undergrad and grad school, postdoc, and now three faculty positions, right? That's five campuses. Mm -hmm. I've never been at a campus where this isn't a problem. I've never been at a campus where there aren't women being assaulted, there aren't men who've been, and women who've been bystanders mm -hmm. to assault, uh, men who feel pressured to engage in particular kinds of activities or in particular ways mm -hmm. with their female classmates and they don't really know how to get out of it mm -hmm. because there's a certain way that women and men are kind of taught to engage with one another. So being, since Owen and I are students, we really yeah. kind of focus this on student life and yeah. how things are at Santa Clara. Um, but do you think that professors influence rape culture or influence sure. Santa Clara social life and things like that? Sure. I mean, you know, one thing that's really important to think about, and as an anthropologist, I feel like we have a particular window into this, is that none of us are immune from the milieu or the soup that we are living in, right? We are all within the cultures that we live in. And even when you study those cultures, or even as a social scientist, where you kind of understand the dynamics of, say, um, you know, transphobia or classism or ableism or racism or sexism, you're still, you could still be perpetuating it, right? Because it's, it's in us in a particular way. And so um, some of the ways that I think about the ways that we perpetuate this as faculty and we may not even realize it, um, 
it starts on a very baseline level with gender discrimination. So there's a spectrum here, right? And and sexual harassment and assault, um, it includes gender discrimination. And so if you're in class and you're mostly calling on the male students rather than female students, right? And those people then just kind of subconsciously, we all start to think, oh, those are the people in class who know what they're talking about. That's a power dynamic you're creating within your classroom, right? What are the jokes we make, right? And I'm a very kind of, uh, I think I am jovial professor. I kind of, you know, speak sometimes casually just to kind of make what can be very difficult information more accessible to students. But, you know, what kinds of jokes are we making? What are the pop culture references that we make in class, you know? What things do we think are funny? What jokes do we make about our own college experience, right? Are we perpetuating a boys will be boys kind of mentality within our classroom? And then finally, and truthfully, um, there are lots of college campuses right now that are struggling with the fact that there have been faculty who harass students. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, are you meeting? You know, and, and and those faculty who are doing this, I don't think that they are unaware of this. I think they just haven't gotten caught, right? But you know, there are faculty who who are asking for meetings with students off campus, who are engaging in inappropriate relationships with students. Um, all of this falls within a spectrum of, of poor behavior where we as faculty need to really mirror the kind of, of behavior that we want out of our, out of our students, mm -hmm. the kind of people that we hope that they'll be in 10, 15 years. And so we need to think very critically about uh, the small ways in which our jokes, our life, our performance of self mm -hmm. perpetuates gendered inequity. To wrap things up, we asked Dr. Robin Nelson about the Me Too movement, of course, and how that relates to her life and her research. In some ways, it's I, I hope that it is empowering for young people. I mean, I kind of think to myself, what would I have felt like 15 years ago when I was in, in well, now I'm getting a little bit older. So say <laughs> closer to 20 years ago when I was, you know, starting college. Um, you know, what would it have been like to see this unfolding, you know? Um, the, the hard, one of the harder things about the, the kind of research that we did was realizing that people's experiences never changed. Mm -hmm. So the senior faculty we spoke to had experienced the same stuff, and they thought it ended. A lot of them thought it had ended. But what actually happened was they had become more senior, and they had aged out of vulnerability in some ways. Now they're dealing with all kinds of other stuff because we age women out of things and we marginalize them. But they weren't necessarily dealing with the kind of power dynamic harassment and assault anymore. So they were like, what do you mean this isn't such a problem? It was like, eh, it's still a problem. There's still grad students and undergrads and postdocs who are all dealing with this right now. And so, you know, as I'm kind of like now out of a trainee phase, it's like, thinking about, you know, if you decided you wanted to go off and do field research, would she be safe? Would Johnson be safe, right? These are the same experiences that folks were dealing with 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So my hope is that um, with this conversation happening and now happening on a national level, are we turning a page such that those folks who are perpetuating these crimes can no longer have safe haven? Mm -hmm. Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Big Q Podcast. 
Again, if you have any questions, comments, or would like to get involved, please email us at bigqpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. In the next podcast, we're going to be talking about the hookup culture here at Santa Clara University. So it should be juicy. Please wait to tune in for that one. If you're interested in reading the articles Dr. Robin Nelson helped publish and write that were mentioned in this podcast, you can find them through our library's database here at SCU. And the titles of those papers are Signaling Safety, Characterizing Fieldwork Experiences and Their Implications for Career Trajectories. And the second one is Survey of Academic Field Experiences, Trainees Report Harassment and Assault. Check them out. Once again, thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by the Markulis Center for Applied Ethics here at Santa Clara University. And this outro music is provided by Poddington Bear. It is called Saunter. Enjoy. Enjoy.